Well, church, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Mark chapter 1. We began last week a series working through Mark's gospel together, and we will continue that this morning. And once again, I am so thankful for our worship team as Pastor Scott is on week two of his sabbatical. Our worship pastor is so thankful for them stepping in and leading us in worship this morning. And as we prepare to dive into Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, a message entitled, Got Hope, with a question mark at the end of it. Have you ever been filled with hope, but ultimately had that hope crushed? You just knew Things were going to work out in a certain way, in a way that you were excited about or you were at least expecting, and all of a sudden, you realize quickly that it doesn't actually work out that way. I was coming home from college my freshman year. It was Thanksgiving break. I left the school, and I was headed to mom and dad's house for Thanksgiving break, and I was just a wee bit excited to leave school and head home and let mom do laundry for me, right? I was so excited that my foot on the gas pedal was a little too much, if you know what I mean, and I was heading home, and in the opposite direction came a Georgia State patrolman. And I don't know if you've ever uttered a prayer when you knew you were in the wrong, but that was what happened. Lord, please don't let him turn around. Look in the rearview mirror. God did not answer that prayer. He flicked his lights on. He whipped around. He came and he pulled me over. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, what can I say in this moment that will get me out of a ticket as I'm heading home? So I'd come up with a plan. He walked up to my truck. He said, license, registration, do you know how fast you were going? And I found out now you're just supposed to tell the truth. I said, no, sir, I have no clue. I knew church exactly how fast I was going, about 13 to 18 miles over the speed limit, right? So he said, well... I'll be back with you in just a second. He goes back to his car. He comes back. He says, Mr. Kennedy, have you, have you ever had a ticket before? And I thought, this is my moment. Because up until that point, I'd never had a ticket. And I thought, if I share with him that I've never had a ticket, he's already run my license. He knows the information already. If I share that with him, he's going to think in his mind, this is a good kid. I don't want to write him a ticket on Thanksgiving week. I said, no, sir, I, I've never had a ticket. My hope in that moment was so high. I just knew. I just knew he was going to say, well, I'm going to give you a warning. Slow it down a little bit. Church, he looked at me and he said, well, it's your lucky day. I thought, glorious. He said, I get to write you your first ticket. <laughs> Hope crushed in that moment. You know, I think for a lot of us, we find ourselves coming in this morning 
looking, longing for hope. Hope in this world in which we live, you may have come in today and you are not a follower of Jesus. You are trying to figure out, what is this whole thing about? What is church about? What is Jesus about? And you're coming in today, you're you're hoping, maybe I can find out who Jesus is and maybe that can change the direction, the course of my life. I want you to know, if that's where you are this morning, we are so thankful that you are here. And my hope and my prayer is that you would listen this morning and hear and see as we walk through the text the reality of who Jesus Christ is. But you may be a believer here this morning, and for you, you come in today crushed by hope that you had. That has been dashed. I don't know what the situation or circumstance looks like potentially in your life in this moment. Maybe it's a marriage that's on the rocks. Maybe it's kids that are just absolutely crazy. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis that you were not expecting. And you come in as a follower of Jesus this morning, hurting, weary, wondering, is there hope for me? As we walk through the text this morning, my hope is that you leave this morning filled with hope. Not because your circumstances may change necessarily, but because of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. As I shared with you before, Mark's aim in this is to highlight, to put the spotlight on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, to zoom in so that we can see the reality of who Jesus is. And so this morning as we look at verses 9 Through verse 13, it's exactly what we're going to do. Zoom in on who Jesus is. I told you last week as we walk through Mark's account of Jesus' life and his ministry, I want to give you a little bit of homework leading into the next week. I want to encourage you to dive into God's Word personally for yourself. And one of the beautiful things about walking through a gospel is that there are four gospels in total. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them have overlap in them in the stories They approach it a bit from a different angle, or they may highlight more of what's going on within that situation or that story. And so I want to give you these parallel passages. They're going to be up on the screen. You write them down, and I want to encourage you in your time with the Lord over the course of this next week to spend some time walking through these passages that parallel what we're going to look at this morning in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Here are the parallel passages. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 and going through verse 11 in Matthew chapter 4. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, and then chapter 4 in Luke, verses 1 through 13. And John chapter 1, verses 29 through verse 34. 
Those are the parallel passages. Let's look this morning. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. This is God's Word. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we look at the text this morning, here is the main idea that will frame our time together in these five verses. It's this truth, Jesus is the Son of God and the sinless Savior, which gives us every reason for hope this morning. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the sinless Savior, and because both of those are true, We have every reason this morning, whether you are not yet a follower of Jesus or you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, each of us has reason for hope today. Five verses. I shared with you last week that Mark, in his gospel account, is not one for many words. It's very, very short, these two events that he records in Jesus' life. Jesus' baptism and then Jesus' temptation in five verses. Which means that as we navigate through it this morning, as we talk through Jesus' baptism, Jesus' temptation, we're going to pull from these other gospel writers in this account of these two stories so that we have a full picture of what's going on. And as we leave this morning, I want us to be filled with hope because of the reality of who Jesus is. Beginning in verse 9 through verse 11, I want you to take note of a baptism of declaration. A baptism of declaration. If you were with us last week, if you weren't, just want to encourage you, you can always go back in and listen, be able to catch up with what you may have missed in the previous week. But we were introduced with John the baptizer who was in the wilderness, and he was the forerunner preparing the way for the Messiah, that is Jesus, to come onto the scene. And John was baptizing people there, and it was a baptism of repentance. 
It was a preparation for their hearts to be ready for the Messiah to come. That was John's work in the wilderness to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Well, in verse 9, Jesus is going to step foot onto the scene. Mark records it like this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. What you have to understand is there was a lot going on just in that one verse that Mark records Jesus' baptism. And I want us to draw from these other gospel accounts so that we understand this. And to do that, I want you to notice that Specifically, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, and John chapter 1, verse 29 through 31, we're going to hear John's declaration as Jesus comes onto the scene. Mark's quick. Jesus came, John baptized him, let's roll. Well, the other gospel writers are going to give us a few more details, and those are pertinent to the story for us to understand what's going on here. Because here's what we have to wrestle with. If... John is baptizing those who needed to repent of their sin, who needed to prepare their hearts for the Messiah to come. Why then was Jesus baptized? Because if you are tracking with me on this, you realize that Jesus is without sin. He is the Son of God. He doesn't need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So what's going on? Well, funny enough, John makes a declaration as this event plays out because he has that same question. In fact, Jesus is going to come onto the scene and John's going to make a declaration in John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold, he sees Jesus coming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knows as soon as Jesus steps out of the crowd and comes to him, John knows this is the Messiah. This is who we have been waiting for. This is who we've been longing for. He's here now. And John says, my job's done. I get to go into retirement. Because what was his job? To prepare the way for Jesus to come. Well, he he does. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus comes to John as he's baptizing and says, my turn. And John says, wait just a minute. He says, Jesus, no. I I should be baptized by you. Not I should be baptizing you, but, but you're the Messiah. You should be the one to baptize me. I I ain't doing it. That's in the Greek. I don't know if you've ever noticed a situation where someone was treated a little bit differently than you. Anytime I fly, I get frustrated with the people who have TSA pre-check. If you have TSA pre-check, just write this down. No one likes me. Just write that down. Because all of us are standing in the line waiting to go through security, and there you go, wind in your hair blowing, just right through the gates. 
You don't have to take your shoes off, your belt off. Life is good for you. We don't like you. In Jesus' name, right? And in this moment, John is looking at Jesus and going, no, brother, you're TSA pre-check. Like you, no, I'm, I'm not baptizing you. But I want you to notice that Jesus also makes a declaration. We don't see it here in Mark's account, but we do see it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, and Matthew's account of Jesus' life and his ministry. Jesus makes this statement in that verse, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says to John, as John is objecting, no way, I'm not baptizing, you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, let it be done so that it fulfills all righteousness. To which we have to back up for a second and go, what's Jesus talking about? Why is he saying that? Why is he making that declaration to John in this moment? Well, It's not because Jesus secretly knows that he's a sinner who is going to need to walk through this baptism of repentance because he is not a sinner in need of this baptism. But listen to me. In humility, Jesus in this moment is willing to identify with all of those who are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus in this moment is willing to look at the crowd who's there, but but even us, and to say, I know exactly what you need. And I'm going to humble myself in this moment, go through this baptism, not because I need it, but because I know I'm the only one who can save you who desperately needs it. And so that's exactly what Jesus does. He's baptized by John in this moment, and Mark gives us this account. Verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Verse 11, A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You saw John's declaration. Jesus, I can't do that. You saw Jesus' declaration. John, you must do that to fulfill all righteousness. Now we have heaven's declaration. The heavens are ripped open. The Spirit of God descends on Jesus. That is the third person of the Trinity descending on the second person of the Trinity. And then the Father, the first person of the Trinity, makes that declaration, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. To which John, in other accounts, is going to make a fascinating statement on the back end of that. He's going to say, that moment proved that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Well, why would he make that statement? Because John had been in the wilderness baptizing people. Under the water, back up out of the water, head back to the shore. Under the water, out of the water, head to the shore. Under the water, out of the water, head to the shore. He'd seen them all. And it had all been the same until Jesus came. Because as soon as Jesus came out of the water, something was wildly different about the response. Heaven ripped open. The Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And the Father made the declaration, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And John may not be the smartest guy in the world, but he was smart enough to look and to say, that's different. He is the Son of God. Now you look at that and you think, wow, that is who Jesus is. That's his identity. And we could pause right there for just a second and say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to camp out in that moment. Because the greatest question that you will ever answer is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Son of God? And are you willing to yield your life to his rule and his reign? And declare, not only is he the son of God, but he is my savior as well. If you've come in today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you may think, well, I'll I'll just keep thinking about that, pastor. I'll just keep wrestling through that. No, I want to challenge you this morning. When we come to the point of response at the end of this service, you need to get up from where you are, and you need to come grab the hand of one of these pastors, and you need to say, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you're looking for hope, it will only be found in Jesus Christ the Son of God. You know, you look and you think, well, it'd be amazing if the story just stopped there. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. That is a wonderful picture to see. But, but then verse 12 and verse 13 come. And I want you to notice in verse 12, Mark records it in this way. Think of the crescendo moment. Closing out verse 11, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. No. The spirit immediately, in verse 12, drove him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Take note, not just the baptism of declaration, but I want you to take note as well, a wilderness of demonstration. A wilderness of demonstration. You may have heard it said, talk is cheap. It's one thing to say something. 
It's another thing to back it up. I saw an interview with Michael Jordan. Uh, it was probably one of my favorite comments. Someone asked him, they said, uh, you know, tell us um, if, you were, if you were playing today. Think about the, the Bulls and the championship run and all that, and, and think about the, the Lakers. And, and I just want you to know, like, how, how well do you think you would stack up against them? And he says, I'm pretty sure we'd beat them, but not by much. And he said, well, why is that the case? And he said, well, we're all in our 60s now. <laughs> Talk is cheap. So you got to back it up, right? The declaration about Jesus is that he is the son of God. And the father says he is well pleased. And then the spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. Mark doesn't give us a lot of the details of this. So we draw those from the other gospel accounts of what's going on in this moment. And what we recognize is that the one reason that Jesus is driven into the wilderness is so that he can be tempted by Satan. After 40 days of fasting. Who leads him into the wilderness? Church, we've got to wrestle with this. It is the Spirit. James reminds us that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have been for more than two minutes, you have experienced testing in your faith. You have walked through struggle. You have walked through difficulty. You've walked through heartache. You've walked through pain. You've walked through temptation. And I want you to notice the text reminds us that Jesus did as well. In fact, if you look at what happens in the other gospel accounts as they unpack what's happening First and foremost, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He experiences temptation. You may want to write this down because if you remember nothing else this morning, remember this believer that temptation is an opportunity to trust God. Temptation in our lives is an opportunity to trust God. What we find out is that Satan is not much of an original thinker. It's not like he has multiple schemes that he throws at us. They are very much along the same lines. It begins with questioning God's word. That's where it begins. What you realize is that in Genesis chapter 3, that that's exactly what Satan does to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God actually say? Did God actually say? 
He's not an original thinker. If you look at the other gospel accounts, this moment of him seeking to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, I want you to notice how he begins each statement that he lodges at Jesus. If you are the Son of God. Well, look back at verse 11. The Father has already stated... You are my beloved son, Satan says, if you are. If you are. And then he offers him three things. He says, first, I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself. And then from there, he says, from the pinnacle... The temple, throw yourself down, and the angels will catch you because your foot will not hit a stone. And then he takes Jesus to the highest place to look around and says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give all of that to you. Let's circumvent the cross, and I'll go ahead and give it to you. Not only does he question God's word, but there is always a formula of temptation that Satan lodges. This is free. This is worth the price of admission that you paid this morning, okay? In fact, John would say in 1 John 2, verse 16, he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. If you look at Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden, you look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, you are going to see those on display. The lust of the flesh. God's not meeting my needs. God's not giving me what I need. The lust of the eyes. I see what I want and what will satisfy me, so I'm going to go get that. And then the boastful pride of life, I know better than God does. It's a vicious formula that plays out in temptation. I want you to notice, though, Jesus is not faced. The temptation comes. And Jesus triumphs. He doesn't succumb to the temptation. In fact, he triumphs over it. And Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, would would go back to Genesis chapter 3 and say, what Adam was unable to do, Jesus was able to accomplish. Adam and Eve in the garden couldn't withstand against the temptation. They chose, instead of obeying God, to disobey God. But Jesus is the true and better Adam, who was able to perfectly keep the law of God, able to walk in obedience. And we look at that and we think, that's good. In fact, That is our only hope this morning, is that we have a Savior who is perfectly sinless, never sinned, because it takes that sacrifice to save us from our sin. 
So if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's why we say this morning, your only hope is Jesus. Because he is the sinless Savior that can save you this morning. But believer, I want to remind you of something as well. As Jesus identified with us sinners in his baptism to in this wilderness temptation moment and throughout his life and ministry, he identifies with us. So much so that the writer of Hebrews is going to offer this measure of thanksgiving. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. And if you are struggling this morning, you are hurting as a follower of Jesus with whatever the circumstances and situation is in your life in this moment. And you are wondering in the midst of that, is there any hope? Is there any encouragement? I'm a follower of Jesus, but I am struggling this morning. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Listen. Dial in on this this morning. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one in every way who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence. Listen to me. You're struggling? Hear this. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. You struggling this morning? Hurting? You have a Savior who identifies with you in your weakness. And yet He is without sin. And He invites you in this moment, hurting, to come to his throne of grace. You need help? He's there. You're walking through pain? He did too. You're walking through heartache? He did too. You're experiencing temptation that you are wrestling with and struggling with? He experienced temptation and was able to conquer. Are you being maligned? Being accused of something that you didn't do. He did as well. He experienced it all. And invites you this morning hurting. To come to the throne of grace. And to receive mercy this morning. Church. That is why we can sit here And leave this place today filled with hope. I'm going to ask our worship team if they'll come back up. And if you'll bow your heads with me this morning. We're going to give an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. 
As I mentioned before, you may have come in and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You've never taken that step of trusting Him as your Savior, of turning from your sins and running in to the arms of the Son of God. You have an opportunity this morning to do just that. There is hope for you today. Today is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you in just a little bit as we sing to just come down and grab the hand of one of our pastors and say, I I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my Savior. If you're a follower of Jesus already this morning and, and you're struggling today, you're wondering, is there any hope? I want you to know that you have a Savior who identifies with you in your weakness, in your struggle, in your pain, in your hurt. And He doesn't look at you and say, I hope it all works out for you. He looks at you and say, I've been there. I've walked that road. And I am willing to walk that road with you this morning. That is the hope that you need today. I want to invite you as we sing in just a moment. If that's where you are, allow us the opportunity to pray for you this morning. To pray for you through this season, this hurt, this pain. That we together could approach the throne of grace and receive the mercy that Jesus provides. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, through your spirit, would you touch each of our hearts today? Apply your word, work in us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand? As we sing, our altars open, our pastors are down front. You come as the Lord leads.